Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. Good evening and welcome to That's Truth. Happy New Year to you, and it's good to be back in the studios of the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse doing the program live on Tuesday evenings. I'm Nathan Owens, and sitting across the desk from me is Pastor Murphy. Good evening, Pastor. Uh, Good evening, Brother Nathan, and good evening to those who are listening this evening. Now, to start out the program tonight, Pastor, a couple of weeks ago, we had a listener who sent in a question, and I did not get it to you in time, and so we didn't have a chance to answer it the last time we had a program. But the question is, Dr. Murphy, I am being careful. Thank you for your concern and interacting uh, with you. Dr. Murphy, who is this in Psalm 87, verse 5? Psalm 87, verse 5 says, And of Zion it shall be said, This and that man were born in her, and the highest himself shall establish her. Is it the highest? Well, um, this is one of the Psalms that the, uh, if you're familiar with Rastafarian theology, uh, they make the claim that uh, this man that was born, because Ethiopia is mentioned in verse number four, that this is supposed to be Haley Selassie that was born in Ethiopia, indicating that the Bible is pointing to the birth of um, their Messiah who happened to be Haley Selassie. The problem with that interpretation, that's a twisted, distorted interpretation. And the reason for that is because you have to read the context of the passage. You have to read the entire uh, um, chapter to see what it's about. If you look at Psalms 87, uh, you'll notice that the heading at the top is a psalm of the song for the sons of Korah. And this has to do with the Levitical family of Korah, uh, who were responsible for the musical aspect in the temple. And this particular psalm, by the way, is a psalm that is celebrating the greatness of Jerusalem. And uh, what is basically uh, trying to illustrate that Jerusalem is the center of God's activity, that God has chosen the city of Jerusalem, and one day God is going to rule from Jerusalem. But because of its greatness and its magnificence, that will one day uh, be glorious. There are people from different nations, uh, even Israel's enemies, uh, who are going to be celebrating the fact that they are no part of being able to worship in Jerusalem. That's what this psalm is about. It's really celebrating uh, Jerusalem. If you look at the psalm together, uh, in verse number one, it says, His foundations uh, is in the holy mountains. Referring his there, referring to God, uh, that God has founded uh, Jerusalem, and it's the mountain that he has hallowed uh, to put his name so it's really saying that the very foundation of Jerusalem and its glory is rooted and grounded in the fact that God has founded Jerusalem uh, as that city. And then verse number two, the Lord loveth the gates of Zion more than the dwelling of Jacob. In other words, um, Jerusalem is the center 
of God's interest. It's not that he is not concerned about the other aspects of, of Israel, but uh, Jerusalem is a special place because he's chosen to put his name there, and that's where the Messiah is going to rule from. And then if you look at, uh, so in verse number um, verse number uh, 3, it says, Glorious things are spoken of thee, O city of God. And if you read the Psalms again and again, you'll find that they extol the uh, Jerusalem. If you read the prophetic writings, they all point to the fact that one day the Messiah is going to rule from Jerusalem and that righteousness will flow from Jerusalem as the Messiah reigns from there. So when he says glorious things are spoken of, of thee, O city of God, he's here elevating and praising uh, the city of uh, Jerusalem again. And then we come to verse number four. Um, he says, I will make mention of Rabba, Rahab and Babylonia, Babylon to them that know me. Uh, behold, Philistia and Tyra with Ethiopia. This man was born there. The point that is being made here now is that uh, Rabba, Rahab, by the way, is, um, if you check the um, any Bible dictionary and go to your Bible and, and check up the word, you'll find that it's referring to Egypt. Okay. And uh, it's referring to Babylon there, it's referring to Tyre, it's referring to Philistia, it's referring to Ethiopia. Do you notice that uh, these are some of the former enemies of Israel, uh, Egypt, uh, Babylon. Uh, so you've got those nations in the north and you've got nations in the south, Ethiopia, and you've got nations in the, in the, in the, e- in the east and, and the west. So what it's saying that <coughs> um, the time is coming when uh, God is going to establish his throne in Jerusalem. And as a result of that, uh, we're told that the nations will come in to worship the Messiah. And uh, it, it will include not just the Jews, but all the nations will pour into Jerusalem, including her former enemies like the Babylonians and the uh, and um, the the Egyptians, and of course the African, as well as the, uh, the Philistines. And uh, then he goes on. Then he, uh, oh, and when it says here in verse number four, I will make mention of uh, Rahab and Babylon, Babylon to them that know me. Behold, Philistia and Tyra with uh, Ethiopia. This man was born here. What is it basically saying there? If you uh, get a good English translation, uh, which would make it more clear, that uh, people are going to be so proud that they are now part of the worship. That they are, be, be, they be considered as though they're born in Jerusalem. So it's it's the the people from Tyre, the people from Ethiopia, the people from the Philippine, uh, from the uh, Philistines, the people from Babylon. They are going to be so excited about the fact that they're now part of the the kingdom, as it were, that they are proud to say that they were born there. In other words, be a part of this whole thing. And don't remember the millennial kingdom is going to last for a thousand years, and that we're told that uh, people from every tribe and nation. Uh, after the, we'll, we'll go into that period of time. So no doubt um, Jerusalem would be the center of, of, of worship. And then if you look at verse um, verse 5, and, and of Zion it shall be said, this and that man was born in her, and the highest himself shall establish her. Once again, uh, um, every person now wants to claim citizenship of Jerusalem. Everybody is proud of going there to worship because they're going to see the Messiah. So everybody's claiming, I'm from Jerusalem. Uh, I worship the king in Jerusalem. So this is where it is, it's elevating the, the, the role that Jerusalem is going to play in the future. It's just celebrating the greatness of, uh, of, of uh, Jerusalem. And then it says in verse number 6, The Lord shall count them when he writeth up uh, the people 
that this man was born there. In other words, the register of those who are really citizens of Jerusalem during that time is the Lord himself that will keep the register of those who are the true citizens of Jerusalem. And then, um, as, uh, and then it goes on to talk about the singers and the players of instrument. Uh, they're like springs of water, uh, just like springs of water bring refreshment. The music uh, for Jerusalem would bring refreshment uh, to those that worship. So this is not a psalm that is anyway uh, giving anybody the grounds to say that this is where the, the Haile Selassie was born. It's really a psalm that's celebrating uh, the glory, the future glory of Jerusalem, Messiah reigning from there, and people being proud of the fact that they are part of the worship and they are uh, all wanting to uh, claim that they, they were they're part of the, the, the uh, Jerusalem and born in Jerusalem. Now, literally, they could be born there because a thousand years rule when Christ would be there. And people coming up to worship, uh, you can see whether it be uh, people from Babylon or people from Ethiopia or people from uh, the Philistines or people from Tyra. Uh, you can see very well that as a result of going up there to worship, it could very well be that some of those people actually become citizens of Jerusalem and become very proud of it. I was born actually in Jerusalem. You know, it's like any great city, any great country, people like to have citizenship in a great country. Right. And people like to boast about it. And that's what this is this is saying here in the book of Psalms. So this is talking about something futuristic, not something yeah. that would have happened yeah. in the last century. This is this is something futuristic because at this point in time, uh, Jerusalem really in 2005, fact is fading glory and uh, we know that uh, Mr. Trump just uh, made it the capital of Israel but if you read the prophetic writings the Messiah is going to reign from Jerusalem righteousness will flow from Jerusalem all the nations will point to Jerusalem to worship the Messiah so this is the future uh, glory this is what you call a messianic psalm that points towards the future and that would be the earthly kingdom that the disciples were looking Correct. for him to set up the millennial kingdom that uh, was promised uh, it's going to be fulfilled, and uh, God's going to keep His promise. And the same way He's kept every promise that He, uh, in relation to His first coming, He will keep every promise in relation to the second coming. Thank you very much to the individual who sent in that question about Psalm 87 and verse 5. If you have a question for Pastor Murphy, you can call and be put live on the air. The phone number is 268 462 7420. If you'd rather not speak live on the air, but you want to WhatsApp or text your question, you can send it to 1-268-782-1454. You're listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse, and we're broadcasting from the island of Antigua on 1160 AM, 92.3 FM, and online at www.radiolighthouse.org. Time across the Eastern Caribbean and in our studios on this Tuesday evening is 7.42. Now, this is our eighth week that we have been discussing the topic of Bible prophecy. And there's been a lot of material that's been discussed and pastors been going through taking complex topics and breaking them down into easy to understand and backing it all up with scripture. So if you are interested in the topic and you want to go back and hear those, you can go to a computer, type in That's Truth Podcast, and go back and listen to a previous episode. If you have any trouble finding that, please don't hesitate to give us a call here at the Radio Lighthouse, and I will be glad to walk you through or send it to you via email. Yeah, but Nathan, I just want to make a comment here. Um, I would like to advise the those that are listening, when you come to a passage like uh, Psalms and there's not clarity there, I would strongly recommend that you get a modern translation. 
remember that sometimes even the in the King James Version, some of these words they were not even too sure what the words meant. Uh, and and they're, they're so a lot more research has gone into the meaning of some words. As a matter of fact, there's still some words that they are still not sure the precise meaning. And I think if you got a modern translation and read this Psalm chapter 87, it will bring a lot more clarity to you uh, as an individual. How do you go about choosing a good modern translation? We know there's many, many, many different versions out there. Well, I, I think uh, you try to get one as close as possible to the uh, what you call the original. Uh, the one that really is more word for word uh, in terms of translation uh, that is fairly good is the New American Standard. Uh, that is a uh, profound uh, translation, but it is more grammatically correct in terms of the order of the words and so on and so forth and it is far more concise than the King James would be it doesn't try to get the same smooth rhythm that you find in the King James version but more word for word and more specific so I think that's a good version that uh, people can look at Uh, you know a lot of the um, I mean there are some issues with some of the modern versions but when it comes to the Old Testament in particular uh, if you're really going to understand the Old Testament, I, I have found this myself, that um, there is so many words that you're not too sure what they mean when you're reading them in the King James Version. You almost have to have a concordance with you to find out what that means. Read it uh, in like the Amplified Version, the ESV. Um, even though um, I'm not a big fan of the, uh, the New International Standard uh, Version, I find it to be very, very good in the Old Testament. And um, I, I think that uh, that would really help people to, to get a grasp of the, of, the, of the Old Testament, especially when it comes to issues of prophecy. Pastor, we have a text message that has come in from St. Kitts. Good night, Pastor Murphy. What is family-style ministry, purgatory, inspiration, and affections? They are asking the definitions for these words. What? Are, what? Are, what are uh, the the words? first one is family style ministry. I can't. I don't know the precise definition of that. But I would. I would. Uh, in my way of thinking, uh, looking at the the way the phrase, uh, I would think that this is probably where you've got an entire family ministering, as opposed to just the 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 the, uh, the father or the mother. In other words, you're trying to get the entire family engaged in some kind of ministry. If you check the JW, for example, when they go witnessing, you'll notice that they have their children to tag along, along with them, along with the, the father, the, the son. That would be kind of a family-style ministry. The other thing that would come to my mind immediately, which I am not in favor of, is that uh, we have a movement today where the husband and wife are pastors, uh, sometimes he's a bishop and she's a pastor. I've seen that arrangement. Uh, there's no biblical warrant for that kind of a situation in the Bible at all. Women are not called to be pastors. They're not called to be preachers. Uh, but that is becoming so common. And often you'll find that the husband and the wife are the ones that really are the the two pastors of the church. And one is perceived as the female pastor, the male pastor. They might give different titles. Uh, I suppose that might be what you're thinking. But I am not too um, sure that the first the definition I've given you is the exact, uh, how, but that's how we would interpret that passage. What was the other one? Purgatory. Well, purgatory is the doctrine taught by the Catholic Church that uh, when a person dies, basically, he's if he dies in any kind of, without repenting, without uh, having a clean life, uh, he has to go to purgatory where he remains there until he is purged by fire. 
and then when he's purged by fire, then he would be moved into the, the heavenly realm. The problem with that is they can't tell you when you're going to get out. The other thing about that, it was a money-making thing for the Catholic Church because in order to get the person out of purgatory, you got to say Mass. And uh, you had to have all kinds of Mass, and you can pay for Mass. Um, you're not the ordinary Mass that you, you would have. So it was really the, a means of filling the coffers of the Catholic Church. And uh, There's no purgatory except the Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews that Jesus Christ purged our sins. That's the only purgatory that we know about. But that's a Catholic doctrine that has no biblical warrant whatsoever in Scripture. Is there any basis for us having to be purged of our sin once we are Christians? Well, once you're purged of your sin, um, what you need is daily cleansing. Uh, you remember uh, Jesus told the disciples about washing, and he used the illustration that you're washed. But then he says, you know, the periodic times when you in your life you have to get cleansing. We are purged of our sins, but we get dirty in the process of our lifestyle, and that's why if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. So once we are saved and purged of our sins, we are justified before God. That gives us a righteous standing before God. Christ's righteousness imputed to us. Um, uh, but at the, in, at the same time, uh, as we go on in the Christian walk, we create errors, we make mistakes, we do things that are wrong. The Holy Spirit convicts us, and what we do is to confess our sins. What's the other one? Inspiration. Inspiration has to do with the fact that the Holy Spirit superintended the uh, writing of the Scriptures. Um, it He influenced the uh, writers of the Bible to write exactly what they wrote using their personalities and their vocabulary and their backgrounds. But he himself ensured that everything that God wanted written was actually written in the Bible. So God inspired the Bible. Uh, and uh, that's what we have today. That's why we believe the Bible is the Word of God. Uh, and the Bible says um, all Scripture is given by inspiration. The word there, inspiration, by the way, the word God breathe. It's just that like you breathe out your breath. That's how uh, God uh, gave us His Word. And uh, Peter says, uh, again, holy men of God speak as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. The word moved there is carried along like a boat on, a, on an ocean with it's sailing along. They were influenced and moved around by the Holy Spirit to, uh, to give exactly what the Scriptures needed to be said. And the last, the last word that they ask about is affections. Well, affection has to do with your emotions. Um, um, affections have to do with your feelings. Um, there are two types, by the way. I mean, you can have good affection, you can have bad affections. It's just like the word, you find the word lust in the Bible, on desires. It's the same word in the Greek language, but when we talk about desires, we often think of something very good. When we think of lust, we think of something bad. So we talk affections, we're talking about our emotions, and which could be either good or bad. We can have good affections, to God and good affections to other people, we can have vile affections uh, to other to others as well. It all depends on how you're de defining it. Thank you for those questions from Saint Kitts. Quick question for you: When was the last time that you invited someone to tune in to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse and specifically to this program? That's Truth. Let me encourage you just right now, as I'm getting ready to share the contact information, go ahead and send a WhatsApp, call someone. It doesn't even have to be someone in the Caribbean. It could be anywhere in the world. They can listen if they have internet at www.radiolighthouse.org. Maybe it's your neighbor. Maybe it's a family member. Encourage them to tune into the Radio Lighthouse and listen to That's Truth. We still have an hour and 15 minutes left in the program tonight. Now, Pastor, 
we were discussing at the end of the last session we had right before Christmas, we were looking at the views of the rapture and specifically the pre-trib view and why that is favored by Scripture. But a lot has happened over the last couple of weeks. So can you just summarize uh, what was said in that session or at the end of that session? Yeah, let me just remind the audience that um, there are different views on this whole matter. There are people who believe in what is called the uh, mid-tribulation rapture, where midway during the tribulation period, the believers are raptured. There's some who believe in what is called the pre-raph rapture. That is the five and a half years into the tribulation when God finally pours out his final phase of the wrath, uh, believers are raptured, but they go through the first section of the tribulation period. There are those that believe in the post-tribulation rapture, where the believers go through the entire tribulation and then they're raptured afterwards. And uh, then there are those who believe in the partial rapture, which believes that uh, those believers who are faithful and true to God will be raptured when when the, the Lord comes for his church. Those who are unfaithful will go through the tribulation period and be purified. And then our position is is that we believe in what is called the, the pre-tribulation rapture, that before God pours out his wrath on the planet Earth and deal with the nation of Israel and bring them out of their apostasy, that the church will be raptured. And we gave you several reasons why we believe this is the, the, the best theory around the subject. Uh, one has to do, by the way, the, the, the place the church is given in the book of Revelation. Now, the main manual about the tribulation period is the book of Revelations. And beginning in chapter 6, going to chapter 19, it records the tribulation period. What is significant, we mentioned to you, is that in the first uh, three chapters, the church is mentioned over 19 times. And then John is told to come up in chapter 4, and after that, the church is not mentioned. It's only mentioned in the final phase of Revelation, <clears throat> when God is making an appeal to men to repent and come to Christ, to whosoever will. Then the church said, and the church and the bride said, come. It's interesting, between chapters uh, 6 and chapter 19, the church is not once mentioned there. Uh, so, and I think that is very, very significant, because the church is taken out. John being an example that he is called up to heaven, he being a type. Uh, the other thing that we mentioned is the removal of the the one who restrains. Thessalonians talk about that. This one that restrains the evil on planet Earth and holds back the manifestation, the, the Antichrist, and the evil that's about to be vented on planet Earth. Someone holds the man of sin from being, uh, uh, his agenda being accomplished. And we're told two things about that force. Number one, we're told that it's an it and it's a he. The question is, how can it be it and a he at the same time? And we pointed out to you that um, the fact that the church is the vessel that God has used is using to restrain evil in planet Earth. The church is the light and the salt of the earth. The Holy Spirit indwells the believer, and the Holy Spirit is the one that restrains. My spirit will not always thrive with man, we learn in Genesis chapter 6. So we believe it's the Holy Spirit uh, indwelling the church that is the restraining power on planet Earth. When the rapture occurs, the church goes, and the Holy Spirit goes with the believer because the Holy Spirit indwells the believer. We think that the only explanation that is suitable that could make sense of this restraining power being removed and then the, the Antichrist be revealed is with the rapture of the church and the pre-tribulation rapture that the believer will go to be uh, with the Lord. 
The um, other thing that we uh, mentioned in connection uh, with this matter is that um, the entire promise that is given uh, to the church that the uh, is the hope that the believer has and that the believer the church is going to be exempted from divine wrath now I I want Nathan I want you to read two passages for me very quickly yeah. first first Thessalonians um, 1 9 to 10 I mentioned this last time but these are two crucial passages first first Thessalonians 1 9 to 10 all right and then I'm going to read the one in Romans chapter 5 but this I think these these two verses should settle the whole matter for the believer whether or not we will escape the wrath during the tribulation period all right, First Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10 say, For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son f- from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. You're waiting for the Son who has done what? Delivered us Mm -hmm. from the wrath to come. I mean, that is so clear that what we're waiting for is not for wrath. We're waiting for him to come. The other interesting passage, by the way, is Romans chapter 5 and verse 9. I'll read that for you. He said, Much more then, being now justified by his own blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Again, I mean, I don't think it can be clearer that uh, the believer is not headed for divine wrath. And the nature of the tribulation period, by the way, is dealing with planet Earth, the rebellion of planet Earth, and is dealing with the apostate Jews to bring them back where God will regraft them into his program. Uh, so I think that that in itself helps us to have a very clear understanding that the believer will not, uh, the wrath, will not suffer the wrath of God. And then in, in, in uh, Revelations 3.10, the church is promised that they'll be kept out of the hour that will test the world. Not that they'll be uh, shielded from the hardship of the, tri- of the tribulation period. It doesn't say that they, be, be t- uh, they will not uh, go through the hour that will test planet Earth, which is the tribulation period. So, uh, again, that's a promise that's given to the church in Revelation 3.10, that they will not go through the same hour of testing that's coming from planet Earth, which uh, refers to the tribulation period. And the other thing we talked about is the eminency of the uh, of Christ's return. I don't think anybody can read the scriptures, especially the, apost- the epistles of Paul, like Corinthians uh, 1, 1, 7, and 1 Corinthians 16, 22, Philippians 3, 20, Philippians 4, 7, 1 Thessalonians 9 and 10, Titus 2, 13, and Hebrews 9, 28, along with Jude 1, 21. You'll find that all of those uh, verses talk about watching because you know not the hour. Uh, so you're not looking for, for signs, you're not looking for wrath. What you're looking for is, is the Lord's to come. Uh, and that, that can happen any moment. Nobody knows exactly what time. So I think the fact that the rapture is eminent and that's emphasized in Scripture that way, that helps us cement the idea of the pre-tribulation um, rapture. And then we talked about the, being the blessed hope of the believer. Uh, how can it be a blessed hope if believers are destined to wrath? And what we have, the Lord uh, put before us is that uh, we look for Him to come uh, because we're going to escape the judgment that's coming upon planet Earth. That's the hope of the believer. Uh, there is another 
reason for this as well and I, it, it, it's very elaborate but it, it might be worth exploring uh, which has to do with the fact when you come to Revelations you find that there are 24 elders along with the four um, living creatures and the angels surrounding the throne the question is who are these 24 elders um, now remember that the book of Revelation is an apocalyptic book and what it means it teaches uh, truth using symbols and I believe that those 24 elders uh, are representative of the believers who are already raptured in heaven. And uh, remember that the rapture occurs at then the tribulation period, and they're in heaven, surrounded the throne, sitting on thrones, observing and what is happening on, on planet Earth during the tribulation period. I think that those uh, represent the uh, believers. And I'll give you some reasons uh, why I believe that. Um, first of all, they're called elders. And that is one of the terms that is given, especially to the rulers in the church. The word bishop and elder and pastor are all synonymous terms. So I think the fact that is using that term uh, helps to represent uh, the church leaders. The other thing is their number, the 24 of them. If you go into the Old Testament in uh, Chronicles chapter 24, you'll find that they had myriads of uh, thousands of, of Levites. But there were so many, uh, they had to divide them into 24 courses. And so uh, at any one time, there were individuals from each course that was serving in the temple. There were 24 priests at any one time serving in the temple. They, everybody couldn't serve. There were too many. So they had 24 courses, and one was selected from each course. To, into, those represented 24 priests in the Old Testament. Now, it's interesting when you come to the, the Bible, we are said to be priests unto God. So I think they represent the priestly role of the believer. Uh, that's another reason uh, I believe that. The other thing is their position in the book of Revelation. These 24 elders are said to be seated on, on thrones. And Lord, the Lord promised his disciples and the church that they will sit on thrones with him and rule. So again, I think that they represent that. The other thing is that they're wearing crowns. You never read anywhere in the Bible that angels wear crowns. And the crowns that are used here, by the way, is not the word diadem, which has to do with authority. Uh, it's the word stephanos, which has to do with victor's crowns. And we have promised in the Bible that the believer would have the crown of uh, incorruptible crown, the crown of righteousness, the crown of light, the crown of glory. So I think that these 24 elders are representative of the believers who are raptured. But remember that John is telling us the revelation through pictorial di diagrams using apocalyptic language. And then the other thing is how they're clothed. They're clothed in white, which is the righteousness of the saints. So they would seem to be representing the, 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 the church. And then they're singing a song in Revelation 5.9 that only Christians could sing, only the church can sing. Why? Because the song that they're saying is that um, that they praise God because people are redeemed from every tongue, every nation, every people, every tribe. That was never true of the nation Israel, but that is true of the church, every, from every nation, every tongue. So I think that song indicates as well that they are the church celebrating uh, the work. And then the other thing is they're distinguished in the same passage from the angels, so we know they're not angels. And then uh, they're located where? In heaven. 
and we know that the believers are raptured before the tribulation begins. So those seven or eight reasons, when you look at the, these 24 elders, uh, seem to be representative of the, the church that is raptured in heaven, seated on thrones, observing what is going on during the tribulation period. I want to get a little bit of clarity. You said that Revelation is an apocalyptic book. Uh-huh. Does that mean that we shouldn't interpret it literally? No, that doesn't mean that. It's like, it's like poetry. Uh, you have to understand the symbolism of poetry to understand what a simile is, a metaphor is, a synecdoche is, uh, onomatopoeia. You've got to know what that is. If you don't know what that is, you know what, what personification is, what an apostrophe is. Mm-hmm. If you don't know those things in poetry, you can read it and it doesn't make any sense. Uh, apocalyptic literature uh, is very, very symbolic, and that is why you cannot understand Revelation unless you understand the book of Ezekiel and the book of Daniel and even the book of Zechariah, those are the apocalyptic books in the Old Testament. And uh, so there are symbols that need to be interpreted by using uh, those other books. The last thing I would say is this. Every type in the Bible has an anti-type. And what I mean by that, in every Old Testament principle or every Old Testament truth, there's a a corresponding New Testament truth that, that brings to light that. And when you go into the Old Testament, you read about two people being raptured. You read about Enoch okay. being raptured and Elisha. I yeah. noticed that both of them were raptured before wrath. Enoch was raptured just before the flood came. Uh-huh. And Elisha was raptured before the Babylonian captivity. So if you're looking, there must be some New Testament truth that brings that to light. And that's where I think it, it's very clear that this is where the, this, this illustrated what the rapture would be about. So I think that is another uh, application that helps me to believe that uh, about this uh, this whole thing with the tribulation proof rapture. You're listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse or broadcasting from the island of Antigua on 1160 AM 92.3 FM and online at www.radiolighthouse.org. Do you have a question for Pastor Murphy? Maybe relating to Bible prophecy. Maybe it's a question that a coworker asked you at work today and you're not really sure how to answer it. Maybe you just tuned into the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse tonight for the very first time. You don't claim to be a Christian or a believer, and that's fine. We still would be glad to answer your questions. You can call and be put live on the air, 268 462 7420 is the number to be put live on the air. I'll give that to you again as you unlock your phone and get the keypad ready. Live on the air is 268-462-7420. If you'd rather WhatsApp or text your question, you can send it to 268-782-1454. WhatsApp or text 268 268- Seven eight two one four five four. For no matter how you're listening to us tonight, whether it be on AM FM, on the internet, or on Facebook Live, thank you for making that's truth part of your Tuesday evening routine. Now, Pastor, we've been talking about the rapture, but I don't think we've really answered the question in detail. Anyways, who's going to participate in the rapture? Well, I think if you read the book of Thessalonians, and um, remember that uh, we mentioned that the, the several references to the rapture, um, one of the key ones is in John chapter 14, where Jesus said, I go and prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place, I will come and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there may be also. So clearly he's referring to New Testament believers. In Thessalonians, it makes it very clear that there are two groups that are going to participate in the rapture, the dead in Christ, 
and those who are alive. They then Christ will be raised first, and then we who are alive will be miraculously transformed and uh, taken to heaven. So it has to do with the church. The persons who participate in the rapture are those who belong to the church age, those that are converted from Pentecost until the rapture occurs. It refers only to those believers within the the church age. Uh, Remember that the rapture has nothing to do with Israel. The revelation has to do with Israel, which is called the day of the Lord, when the Lord comes back in all of his glory. But the rapture is not a truth that was made clear in the Old Testament. Uh, it's a New Testament truth, which is called a mystery. So uh, the rapture has to do with uh, people who belong to the church age. So how do you become a believer? You said that you have to be a believer. Is that every religious person? or No, uh, the Bible makes it quite clear that to become a, a believer, become a, a born-again uh, person, that that person has to repent of their sins and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I, I need to emphasize that, uh, Nathan, because a lot of people just emphasize the believing aspect of it. Uh, people tell people, come down the aisle, and they say you believe. But where we have failed as a church is to emphasize that before we can uh, put a complete faith and trust in Christ for redemption, we need to understand that we need to repent of our sins. Uh, Christ didn't come to keep us in our sins, to let us wallow in our sins, to continue our sins. He came to break the power of sin in our lives. And that begins in the process of repenting of our sins, turning away from our sins, and then putting faith in what Christ has done for us. When that happens, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in the believer, and the Holy Spirit's job is to sanctify the believer. He works in cleaning the believer up from the inside outward. And that is the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in the believers. But uh, repentance and faith in, in Christ are the two essential uh, when it comes to this whole matter of uh, being born again and becoming a Christian. What about the social justice? Because I see that idea being perpetrated a lot and being thrown out there a lot. In fact, I want to share a quote and have you share your thoughts on it. Social justice isn't a different kind of gospel. Rather, it is sewn into the very fabric of the message we call good news. It works to upend the status quo and seek to set free those who live under the oppression of powerful systems, whether they are black and brown people, religious minorities, women, non-binary people, or the LGBTQ community. If you are not actively doing what you are capable of to dismantle these systems of injustice, you are not participating in the work of the gospel. Is that biblical? It's a distraction, total distraction. Um, The social agenda that is being bandied today and and being advocated is becoming a distraction for the church. Our mission as God's people is to convert people, not to change the world. We are not here to uh, uh, pursue an agenda of social justice. We are here to bring about salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. As the individual is converted, his life is changed. He goes back to wherever he's from, whether he go back to his home, his workplace. He goes back into government, and he begins to bring about policies that are in, more in harmony with biblical principles. But the agenda of the church is not to go about trying to correct wrongs, and that's not our mission. Our mission is to save the world from the wrath to come and tell people, flee the wrath to come. We're not supposed 
supposed to be engaged and wasting our time and our resources trying to fix the world. We can't fix this world. This world is doomed. Uh, it's going to end in a, a cataclysmic destruction. The Bible makes it quite clear about that. And what we've got is the same message John the Baptist had, flee the wrath to come. That's our message to the church, and we need to stick with the message of the gospel because our main thing, listen, you cannot change people without changing their heart. And the only way the heart can be changed is through the gospel. There must be a transforming power. That's why people like Wilberforce, who were able to bring an end to slavery, uh, it was because of his Christian faith and his belief in the humanity and the fact that man was made in the image of God, that he fought against the injustice of slavery. But that's his political job. He, I mean, he's a, he became converted, he was into politics, and he saw there was a need for change, so he used his influence. I don't have any dispute about that. When it comes to the church, our mission is to evangelize. When people get saved and they become Christians and they feel that the Lord is calling them to do social work, that's their business. But that's not the mission of the church. The mission of the church is to preach the word and edify God's people and give people hope and warn the world that this world is doomed. There's nothing we can do about it. Nobody can bring about uh, the Pax Romana, if you want to call it that. Nobody can bring out utopia. Uh, nobody can bring out a social system that is that's not going to happen. Uh, you read your Bible and you read the newspapers, you see that no matter how, how we try, we cannot fix this problem until the Messiah comes back. The Prince of Peace must be here before man experiences peace. All other attempts are doomed to failure. Now, we've been talking about the rapture, and you talked about who participates in the rapture, but the Old Testament believers, those that were saved in the Old Testament time period, do they get resurrected as part of the rapture at the same time? Well, just remember that now God has a plan for the Old Testament dispensation and the New Testament dispensation. The New Testament dispensation has to do with the church, those that uh, put the faith and trust in Christ, and uh, they will be raptured and resurrected um, when the rapture occurs. The Old Testament saints are going to be rapture, going to be resurrected at the end at the end of the tribulation period, and they will go into the millennial kingdom. Um, there are some verses that uh, would indicate that. One of the look at two verses here quickly: Daniel chapter twelve and verse one and two. Daniel twelve verses one and two says, yeah. "And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince, which standeth for the children of thy people." And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation, even to the same time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. Verse 2 also? Yeah. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Clear there that the tr notice that th this time that has never been by the way if you look at Matthew chapter 24 verse 21 it dovetails into that verse it's talking about the Michael standing up for the the nation of Israel during the tribulation period fighting against the, the dragon and um, but you notice go ahead Daniel 20 Ma Matthew 24 21 it says for then shall 
For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time. No, nor shall be. Same sentiments there. There's never been a period like this point in time. So this is during the tribulation period. But notice that his people are, some are going to be delivered during the tribulation period. But notice what's going to happen to the others. They're going to be what? Resurrected. Mm-hmm. Then we'll be resurrected. So this is where the Old Testament saints would now be resurrected. Uh, during the tribulation period, some coming to the tribulation and just after the tribulation period, there is going to be resurrected along with the tribulation saints. We'll find that in um, uh, chapter 20 of the book of uh, Revelation where these, the tribulation saints are resurrected. The, the, remember that the again, the church is raptured, God grafts Israel back in this program during the tribulation period. It's almost going back to the kind of Old Testament times so that those tribulation saints uh, that died during the tribulation period share in going into the Millennium Kingdom with the Jews so there'll be the resurrection after the tribulation period. There's another reference, but um, you could, I would suggest the audience look at it later. Um, Isaiah chapter 26, verse 16 and 19. It refers to the time of travail, a woman in travail. Remember Jacob's trouble? And then it, it talks about after that, there is going to be a, a resurrection again. So it comes after the tribulation period in both cases. And that's when the Old Testament saints and uh, people that uh, put their faith in the God of Jacob uh, they are going to be uh, resurrected at that point in time. So the rapture has to do with the church group, the church age, uh, and the Old Testament believers, they are going to share in the resurrection as well, the first resurrection, but it will be after the tribulation period is over because it comes after the time of Jacob's trouble. And uh, as Daniel said, a time when like there's never been before, which Revelation, uh, Matthew chapter 24, dovetails into that. Now, if Jesus Christ had not died on the cross before the Old Testament time period, mm-hmm. how could a person be saved? Well, we get we are saved by looking back the fact that Christ died for us. They were saved by looking forward to the Messiah coming. It's all faith in, in God providing. Remember that the first... Um, promise in the Bible, immediately after sin entered, God gave a promise that he would send one of the seed of the woman that would bruise the serpent head. So the seed is coming. By the way, you'll notice that after um, after um, Cain kills Abel, uh, she says, to, oh, when, when, when Cain is born, uh, she said, the Lord has given me a man. Uh, she's thinking that this is going to be the seed, because the seed is coming to deal with the serpent. Uh, and so what we, what you really have there uh, in, in Scripture is that it all relates to Christ. They look forward to Christ coming. We look back at the fact that Christ has already come. It's all faith in the Messiah who is going to die for the sins of the world. Are there any signs or prophecies that must be fulfilled before the rapture occurs, or is it really imminent? Like well, it could happen before this program's over. Yeah, there are two things that we find in Scripture about the rapture. One that is imminent, and also is is signless. The rapture, there are no signs that are uh, indicated that we must look for uh, that must precede the rapture. Now, to be very honest, there are many signs that are mentioned in Scripture. For example, Daniel eight, nine, and ten uh, talks about. The, the coming um, European power with the ten horns and the little horns. Also in Matthew chapter 24, our Lord talks about many, many signs before his second coming. And then in Revelation 6 to 19, it talks about many, many signs as well. But those are signs that do not relate to the rapture. It refers to the revelation when he's coming back. But um, 
you know, in the Old Testament, they always start with the day of the Lord, which is the day of wrath, which is exactly what the tribulation period is about, and that the Lord is coming back. Uh, so this, the revelation is when he the, the tribulation is over, he comes back in all of his glory. The rapture, he doesn't come back to earth. He comes for the believers and take them with him. The, the revelation, he comes back to planet earth. As a matter of fact, the book of uh, Zechariah tells us his feet will stand on the mountain of olives and the olives are going to split, right? So, But the signs in the Bible relate not to the revelate. The rapture refers to the revelation the time of the second coming. Um, that is significant, by the way, because if we can begin to see some of the signs that indicate the second coming, the revelation, it should tell us that the rapture is very near because the rapture occurs before the revelation. We're not looking for signs, we're looking for him to come. But if we can begin to see some of the signs, we should be aware that we may be minutes to midnight before the Lord actually returns, but there are no signs that must precede the rapture. Pastor, is it ever biblically correct to set a date for the rapture? Uh, I think we mentioned this sometime in the discussion. It's absolutely improper to do that. And I think as a result of people trying to be wiser than the Bible allows, they discredit the Scriptures. Because when you set a date and the date doesn't come to pass, and you are a pastor or leader or a Bible scholar, people then begin to scoff at the Bible. They don't scoff at you. Uh, somehow they think that the Bible is wrong rather than you being wrong. Uh, the Bible tells us pointedly that it prohibits any date setting. Uh, Matthew 24, Matthew 25, Acts 1, 7. You'll find that in all of those verses, say you don't know the time, nor the hour, nor the day. And uh, you are claiming a knowledge that the Bible does not allow. And I would say to any person who sets a date, we know three things about them. Number one, they're wrong. Number two, they're disobedient. And number three, they're arrogant. Uh, because God does not allow us to date set when it comes to the rapture. He told us nobody knows not even the angels know that. So any man that purports to know that, he is uh, arrogant and conceited. Pastor, we have a WhatsApp question that's come from St. Kitts. It says, Amen, Pastor Murphy. I agree with you 100%. We really can't change the world, but we can pray that God change man's heart. I believe that's referencing back to what you were saying about the... Yeah, I mean, look, the church, the church is the agent of... Uh, holding down restraint. It's, it's the salt of the earth. And salt is there to hold down corruption. But the church functions as salt as it proclaims the gospel because the gospel is the agent of change. Prayer is fantastic. We should be praying while we're evangelizing. We're not uh, putting one against the other. But the important thing which I'm trying to uh, avoid, the church has been distracted again and again and got off on a rabbit trail trying to fix the world and uh, get involved in all kinds of ecological projects and this project and the next project. And uh, it's even in, in, North, in, in South America, you had the social gospel, which was really socialism applied uh, to economics. And the church got involved in, in that as well. Uh, the church actually got involved in freedom fighters in funding uh, terrorists uh, in the fighting of, of justice. The church is a nonviolent institution. It doesn't it doesn't uh, uh, support violence. It doesn't support the use of guns and weapons. Uh, Christ said that he that uh, lived by the sword shall die by the sword. Uh, the church changes a world and changes people by the transforming message of the gospel. If the gospel can't change men, nothing else can change them. Uh, you might have some cosmetic changes, but you can't have real, radical, permanent transformation without the gospel. 
Pastor, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but in the technological day and age that we live and the media always having an answer for everything, what do you think will happen when the rapture happens? Do you think there'll be a solution? How do they explain what happened when a percentage of the world's population just vanished? Well, I think it's going to be, you just imagine for just a moment, I mean, it doesn't take much imagination to to just be aware of what will happen. I mean, there are millions of Christians all over the world. And these are not just Christians in in, in low, lowly places. They're people in very prominent positions that are Christians. You've got doctors, lawyers, you've got politicians, you've got leaders. Uh, I mean, you've got a variety of people. You've got pilots, you've got, um, you, you just name it. So you can imagine what happens when you've, um, the rapture occurs. You've got planes without pilots. You, you've got cars without drivers, school without teachers. You've got factories without workers. Uh, you got parliaments without some parliamentarians. Uh, yes, there are some parliamentarians who are <laughs> Christians. Uh, you've got hospitals without doctors. So the question would be, uh, how do you explain that? It'd be a time of unparalleled terror. I think that people would be shocked what happens. Millions missing in moments. In the twink of an eye, people just disappear. All that is left is their clothing. Uh, the evidence that they're gone is their clothing, just like our Lord came out of the tomb and they found the thing, the bandage that rolled him up, and that's what made John know that it was like a cocoon. The, the, he was missing, but here was the, the thing collapsed. So he didn't un, unbandage it. It was just there in one part. He said, how did this happen? And I think that the pundits and the experts uh, will uh, try to express uh, explain this mystery and no doubt there'll be a lot of hypotheses uh, perhaps some conspiracy theories maybe the Russians create a new a new weapon of some <laughs> kind <laughs> uh, or maybe the Chinese I'm not too sure which one but I do believe that the world is being prepared to to accept a, 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 um, an answer and I'll tell you why if you look at the focus today the New Age movement and uh, that is becoming increasingly popular. The idea of a higher consciousness movement that we're moving from uh, into what is called the, from one age to the other. Um, you look at the phenomenon of UFOs. You see the amount of that is on on, on uh, television these days, and the going back to even government reports about citing these types and so on. And then Hollywood as well is part of the conspiracy. The trilogies on on space. Um, extraterrestrial experiences like Star Wars and meeting the Force and then of course you have uh, the the Avatar uh, the world is being prepared uh, and by the way people are losing concept between what is real and what is virtual reality hmm. I'm told that when the Matrix came on this on the, on the thing you know, on, there's some people who really believe in the Matrix I, I was shocked when I learned that but that's the age we're living in and I really think that uh, maybe some of the explanations may be a massive uh, UFO abduction because a lot of people believe in UFOs, okay? That might be one. The other thing, maybe we're going to what is called a time warp, you know, talking about mm-hmm. uh, holes, dark holes. Maybe um, uh, the the New Age people talk about Mother Earth. Maybe uh, Mother Gia would be now purifying the Earth, getting rid of these toxic Christians who believe in, in wrath and so on and so forth. Uh, maybe uh, as well, the 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 global f- emphasis on higher consciousness maybe there be some duplicitous explanation that we are now moving to another realm and those who are not part of this new consciousness movement they are now being removed uh, they're going to come up with some kind of answer or the other explanation could very well be that finally 
it, they woke up to the reality. They've never really paid attention to the rapture, the gospel. And finally, uh, those other answers seem uh, too spurious and too false. And maybe they now wake up to the fact, you know what? The church was true after all, and probably the greatest revival the world has ever seen. Remember, Revelation says that coming out of the tribulation period, we uh, a multitude that you can't number. It could very well be that this would cause a lot of people to wake up. Not people that knew the gospel before, but people who never paid attention to this whole thing. And then suddenly it dawns on them, hey, this thing is true. It could very well be. And remember that many will be slaughtered during the tribulation period for believing in the Messiah. Uh, and that's where the souls under the altar in chapter 6, crying for vengeance because they suffer martyrdom during the tribulation period. Because when the Antichrist comes, he will not countenance people claiming that Christ is the Messiah. So I think that uh, the if it's not the UFO, if it's not some kind of a time war, uh, if it's not some kind of a new invention or some weapon for the Russians or the Chinese or something, they'll have all weird explanations, but they will not be, you can be sure for one thing, there'll not be um, any loss of debate on this matter and all. You could find, <laughs> you could find a person on the media that, can give you an answer for anything yeah. uh, today, and you're going to get all these pundits arguing and debating, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. The truth of the matter is, I think some people are going to be woken up to the reality that the chapter raptures occurred, believers are gone, and I think it could lead people to really uh, turn in repentance. And I think that may be the part of the great multitude that comes through the tribulation period. It's interesting that you mentioned that. I've never really thought about it, but you know, the Christians are going to be raptured out, but all the Christ Christian literature that's out there. And the Bibles Bible. are going to still be there. And yeah. the Internet, I mean, and, unless they find some way to filter all Christian literature off the Internet. So there's going to be answers for people who are seeking. Yeah, look, there are lots of people, millions of people, who uh, they don't pay attention to the gospel. They don't, but they've heard about the rapture. I mean, it is almost, I, I can't think in the Western world. Hmm. Uh, whether you believe the rapture or not, I mean, the films have been made about that, uh, Tim LaHaye's series, yeah, uh, stuff like that, and Left Behind. So I think that it could be a, a very good, well, not very good, I think a powerful wake-up call. A you know, it could have a, a profound effect upon planet Earth and the people on planet Earth with this were to happen. Just imagine if it were to happen and you were left or I was left. Wow. It would be a shocker. Yeah. <laughs> Going to the bedroom and all you see is your wife's clothes and she's gone, you're left back, you know. I mean, uh, it would be terrified. You, you, the babies are gone and, uh, you know, it's... You, you're trying to conceive the impact it would have globally. Imagine a, a pilot, he's, he's, run, he's running a plane, he's gone, the plane off course. Imagine the destruction as well. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's not a pleasant, uh, I know we can we can talk and we can laugh and we can rejoice that we're not going to be here, but the truth of the matter is it's going to be a terrible time. And that's why God warns people, uh, flee the wrath to come, prepare to meet your God. We have 30 minutes left in the program tonight. Still plenty of time for you to go ahead and send in your question or to call in with your question. The phone line is open and waiting for you to call. Phone number to be put live on the air is 268-462-7420. 268-462-7420. If you'd rather WhatsApp or text your question, please send it to 268 782 1454 or you can comment your question 
or your thoughts on the Facebook Live video feed, and we will pass them along to Pastor Murphy in a timely manner. Time across the Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening is 8.29. Now, Pastor, that brings up an interesting thought. The rapture's happened. There's going to be people that will be left here. What about those who had rejected the gospel before the rapture? Will they have a second opportunity? Will they be able to be saved during the tribulation? And do we know the answer to that? You know, I, I don't want to be exclusively dogmatic on this matter, but I do believe that there's a reference in the Bible that warns us about uh, what would happen. Um, if you, we know, for example, we know that people are going to be saved during the tribulation period, no question about that. Uh, you find that in Revelation 7, 14, Revelation 7, 9, the great multitude. However, the scripture warns that those who have had access to the truth and who became informed of the truth and rejected the truth, uh, that when the Antichrist comes, that God will judicially blame those who have rejected the truth. Now, this is a, a very telling uh, passage of Scripture and one that is very fearful. But you can't escape this there. Second Thessalonians 2, verse 8 to 12. Could you read that for me, please? Second Thessalonians chapter 2, 2 verse 8, 8 to, 12. to 12 says, And then shall the wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders. Verse 10 and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they might all be damned who believed not the truth but had the pleasure in unrighteousness. Yeah, that seems to indicate very clearly that uh, when the Antichrist comes, that those who have refused to believe the truth that was told to them and preached to them and rejected the truth, that God will judicially blame them so that they believe the lie of the Antichrist. And remember that this person that's coming is going to deceive by using miracles and signs and wonders. And, uh, uh, you know, just like the nation of Israel, if you read Second uh, Corinthians chapter 3, it is said that when they read the book of Moses, there's a veil over their eyes. They can't... They, you know, I, I, I have it very difficult to understand how a Jew cannot believe that Christ is the Messiah. I must tell you that as a Gentile, right? But they can read the Bible, and it, it it's like a veil, a, a blindness is there. And then we're told that in, in, in um, the book of Romans, that the day is coming when God will remove the blindness of Israel. But right now, as a nation, they are judicially blinded. Now, Jews are getting saved, uh, individuals, but as a, uh, as a, a collective entity, as a as a, as a nation, they're in blindness. And uh, they became blinded because they rejected the Messiah and God judicially blind. And God is warning here as well that uh, those who have had access to the truth and refused the truth, when the man of sin is revealed, that God will blind them so that they believe the lie and suffer damnation. So I would say to those people who have had opportunity and who have an opportunity now, you better seize your moment. Uh, there's no certainty that your heart would be open to the truth. And God has said here that he himself would cause delusion 
It's not man that will cause that. This is a judicial act of God because you refuse to accept the truth. And uh, I, 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 I hold to that view, by the way, that people who have uh, rejected the gospel know who had opportunities and who know what the gospel is. I'm not talking people who hear the gospel and who, you know, who never paid attention. I'm talking people who really understood what the gospel is about and willfully refuse it. I believe that those people will not have another chance. That's a very sobering reminder, and maybe it's a reminder for you tonight. Maybe you're listening, you've heard the gospel, you've rejected it. There is no guarantee uh, that you will have another opportunity, and there's no guarantee that the rapture isn't going to happen. And, Pastor, there are days that I find myself wishing for the rapture to happen before the end (laughs) of the day, knowing there's difficult things coming ahead. Uh, We have two Facebook comments. Listeners, one from New Jersey and one from Atlanta, who have said that they are really enjoying the program. One of them says, another great segment tonight, Pastor. God bless you all. Keep up the good work. So thank you for listening, no matter where you are listening from. If you have a question, go ahead and send it in quickly. We have 25 minutes left in the program. Pastor, those that have been raptured to heaven and the tribulation is taking place is it going to be like a stadium where they're looking down on the plain field of earth as it may be mm-hmm. and observing what's going on do we know if that's the case well uh again this is one area that we can't be dogmatic about we got to exercise restraint and caution <coughs> excuse me but we have a natural curiosity uh in ourselves and Sometimes we, we envisage ourselves sitting in the balcony of heaven watching what's going on down here. I am not too sure I would enjoy it because I am not a person who likes to see mayhem and wrath. Mm-hmm. And, and this is going to be a time of really unprecedented uh, divine wrath being poured out. The cup of the iniquity of man will be full and God's wrath will be full as well. But there are those who believe that uh, the raptured saints uh, would be able to have some um, knowledge of what's going on. Uh, they use some passages to, to prove this. Uh, they, they use uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, which says we have such a great cloud of witnesses. You remember that passage? Uh, when they talk the, the the Hall of Fame, uh, faith, the Hall of Faith, and then uh, he said, having this great cloud of witnesses, uh, we, you know, we ought to run, being aware that they're watching us. But again, it's not... Um, we're so we're told that we had to watch them. They're not watching. At the cloud of witness, we're told that we must bear in mind that there's a, a great host who have gone on before us, and we're to look to them. They're not looking down on us. That's not what the pastor is saying. But people think that they, you know, we we are to uh, think that they're looking down at us, seeing how could we we go to this this war and this fight, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But that's not what the pastor is teaching. Is that we look to them and their faith, and the same way they triumph, we keep our focus on them as our heroes and our icons, as it were. The other passage that is used is uh, um, Revelation chapter six. You remember the authors, the uh, the martyrs under the under the altar who've gone through the tribulation period and have suffered martyrdom, and they are uh, uh, they are under the altar pleading for God. Revelation chapter six, verse nine and ten, uh, for God to intervene and and take vengeance and give them the justice because they've been unjustly uh, thing. But they are aware that those who martyrdom are still alive and they're calling for justice so people are uh, calling for uh, for God to intervene so the people take that passage say but they have knowledge that these people that created their martyrdom is still alive and asking God to intervene and then in Revelation chapter 19 when Babylon is destroyed 
in Revelation chapter 19, those in heaven uh, rejoice because they have knowledge that Babylon is being, uh, is, uh, being destroyed. Uh, for those three reasons, there are people who believe that the believers in heaven have knowledge of what's going on. Now, whether or not when Babylon is destroyed, uh, uh, it's reported that it's destroyed, or whether they can see it, we don't know. But clearly, those in heaven have some kind of knowledge, whether they have exhaustive knowledge that is what's being transpired, or whether that they get reports of what is happening, we're not too sure. So we can't be uh, dogmatic on this matter. Pastor, we have a caller from Bendel's Antigua. Thank you for calling, and go ahead with your question, please. Yeah, good night, Dr. Mozi. Hi, good, good night. How are you doing? I'm not too bad on you. Good hearing you again, man. Yes. Uh, I would like to ask a question. I don't know if you want to help me out or not. Sure. Uh, you know, the Bible talk about being in Uncle Yogi for unbelievers, in some way in Revelation, coming in. Be not unequally yoked with unbelievers? Yes. Yes, I know that, huh? Right. So me and a guy had um, a discussion with him. We had a little argument and he told me that when, when the Bible talks about being in unequally yoked with unbelievers, when if a Christian, two people married, and they do not believe, and then one come to accept Christ, and the wife or the husband want to leave with the wife uh-huh. or the husband and they're not, they're not, they're not Christian. Uh-huh. But you know, the Bible the Bible tells you that in in Corinthians chapter seven tells you that if you have a husband or a wife that believes uh-huh. and the wife did not believe, do not do not put her out. Yeah. Paul tells you that if she if she if she decide to dwell with you you know, put the out like their wife. Yeah. So but the Bible talk about be not in of unbelievers. So why does unbeliever have to be a Christian? Yeah. Well, let me ex- let me explain that to you. By the way, the Apostle Paul in Corinthians chapter seven uh, is dealing with an issue that our Lord Himself did not address. And what I mean by that, our Lord dealt with the whole matter of marriage. That marriage is permanent, but He never uh, dealt with the whole question. What do you have? What do you do when you've got um, two people who are married? And uh, as a result of getting married, uh, they're, they're married and they're unsaved. Both of them are unsaved. And then in the process, one gets saved. So you've got an unsaved husband or unsaved wife you've got a, uh, and wanted to save. That's an unequally yoked marriage in the sense that one is a believer and one is not a believer. The Apostle Paul says that in a case like that, um, you don't allow the, if the believer wants to remain, the unbeliever wants to remain with, within the marriage. Uh, Paul says uh, the believer is obligated to keep the marriage together. But if the unsaved person wants to walk out of the marriage, uh, Paul says that that person, um, you know, uh, that would be there. If they want to do that's their business. But the, the believer must keep his marriage together, even though he finds himself where he's a Christian and he was married to his wife and she's not a Christian, but he got married, he got saved after she was, after they got married. It's not an excuse to end the marriage because he got saved or she got saved and he didn't get saved. That's Paul's argument. The whole goal is that when you get saved and your partner is not saved, the whole goal is to use your influence to bring the other person to saving knowledge of Christ so that you have a Christian home. But in the yeah. Corinthian church, the Corinthian church, people are always looking at the easy way to escape problems. Mm. And the Corinthian church, they were looking at that and say, you know what, I'm unequally yoked, therefore I can just jump ship and uh, go and find another, a Christian wife. Paul says, uh-uh, that, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. 
and then Paul said, if you separate, by the way, uh, you don't get married. You, if you want anything, you can come back together. But uh, unequally yoked marriage has to do with uh, where one person is saved and the other person not saved. Now, let me just say something else. A Christian should never marry an unsaved person. You're not. Yeah. Yeah. So that is an that is as a matter of fact that is deliberate sin and that is complete disobedience. Now, for a person to deliberately, he's a Christian, and he's dating an uh, unsaved person with a view towards marriage. That is totally unscriptural. I don't think any pastor should ever marry a person who is a Christian and a non-Christian uh, because that's an unequally yoked position. Well, there is been an accident to anybody telling me about all the Bible contradicting. I tell you, no, the Bible is not contradicting. If you like contradicting yourself because the Bible is true. Yeah. Look, what you find about with man that the Bible. I think what man, yeah. a lot of things man do, man do. Yeah. Well, you see, that, yeah, clearly that is a person who is not uh, um, a person who doesn't hold to the 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 the, uh, the authority of the scripture. That's a person who probably I would suggest that that's probably a person who wants to do his own thing, live his own moral life. He doesn't want to be constrained. He want to make his own decisions, his own choices. He wants to be an autonomous man living according to his own rules. He doesn't want to come under the authority of scripture. Such a person is not a Christian. Okay. And uh, you're not going to win arguments with non-Christians on those yeah. issues. All you can do is to share the Word of God with the person and give the Holy Spirit the, the ammunition, which is the sword of the Spirit, to work on his conscience. But uh, it is a waste of time trying to argue with unsaved people who do not accept Scripture. Just quote Scripture, give them Scripture, pray for them, be a good example, but uh, you're not going to be able to, to change their minds unless they come under the authority of Scripture. Okay, but uh, I appreciate the question, the answer. You're welcome, sir. Anytime, and I thanks for calling. I got you too good because I am, I am, I am, I am bad with in two water, so uh, that's, that's a good time to call you. Yeah, well, I'm glad to hear you often because it seems that you're a man of the Word and you, you seem to be, t you know, you take a very good stand on Scripture. And, uh, you know, you're going to have your friends who differ with you on those matters. Just share the word, brother. But the important thing when it comes to people is the lifestyle. Live the lifestyle and that, let them see the change in your life. And as a result of the change in your life, it will provoke them to want to know, hey, what, what is it that's caused you to be so I, different? I know, I know. <laughs> okay. Thank for the answer. God bless you. Thank you God very much. Continue the program and God bless. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. Have a great night. Great to hear your voice again in this new year. Keep encouraging others to listen to the program, That's Truth. Pastor, we have a WhatsApp message from Antigua. It says, good night and a blessed new year to you and Dr. Murphy. What do you think of the Left Behind series by Jerry B. Jenkins and Tim LaHaye? I myself haven't watched them. Uh, my wife has the books, but I haven't read them myself. Um, you know, just remember it's drama. And sometimes they over sensationalize the the whole thing, et cetera, et cetera. But I think the 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 if the core message is that the rapture can occur any time, and as a result of the rapture, these are some of the ramifications. Uh, I think it's proper to use those things to evangelize the loss. I I watched the burning hell many years ago, uh, where there was a. Uh, 
uh, fan made about uh, go, you know people in hell and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a really wake up call. Some people use the the uh, the passion of Christ. Some people came to Christ using the passion of Christ as well. It's just using the the different media to try to get across the message. But in the process, not everything that they w- would have written in the book is is actually totally scriptural. Uh, they would have um, you know tried to expand on different matters and use their their creative imagination to get across a message. But if the gist of it is that the Lord can return at any time, and when he returns, these are the repercussions, and calling upon people to repent and put their faith and trust in Christ, I think they're doing a a job uh, utilizing the gifts that God has given to them. But personally, I haven't read it, I haven't seen it, um, but knowing Tim LaHaye myself, by the way, and I've got several books by him, uh, I would... I would find it difficult to believe that he would be so would go off and be deviant mm-hmm. and not hold to um, the at least the core principles about the rapture. So I I would probably endorse him without even seeing it, knowing the character of the man, and having read his books that he's written. He's a very song solid fundamentalist when it comes to the biblical faith. And the second part to their question, and also a prominent pastor by the name of Dr. John MacArthur Jr. said that persons could be saved after getting the mark of the beast. What are your thoughts on that comment? That's impossible. I mean, you, you make it very clear in the book of Revelation that uh, if you receive the mark, that's it for you. I mean, there's no doubt about that. If you read the last, I think it's chapter 20, it said that the beast and the false prophet and those that received the mark of the beast that they are doomed. I'm not too sure why John MacArthur would make that statement. That would be a shocker if I were to read that in one of his books. But he's done some controversial things in the past as well, especially in connection with the blood, for example. I can think of the controversy that was raised uh, when it was a very simple thing that he could have done to admit that, you know, um, Christ is not just the Bible emphasizes death, but also the Bible emphasizes the blood. There's no question about that. It all goes back to the Old Testament typology. But <coughs> I can't say I've seen that but since you've mentioned it, I, if you could share it more with me, I would like to investigate it myself because I would find that to be a shocker. Thank you for those questions coming from Antigua. If you have a question, you have nine minutes to get it to us here before the program ends. You can send your question via WhatsApp or text at 268-782-1454. Or you can call and be put live on the air, 268 268- Four six two seventy four twenty. The time across the Eastern Caribbean is 8.47. We're broadcasting from the island of Antigua on 1160 AM, 92.3 FM, and online at www.radiolighthouse.org, and also for this program on Facebook Live. Pastor, what effect should this knowledge and this belief of the rapture have on our lives? I think if you read the passages in the Bible that relate either to the rapture or the revelation, the second coming, um, you'll find that they always have a practical appeal. The reason for that, by the way, is that, you know, prophecy was not just designed to stir our imagination or in any way to satisfy our curiosity. It goes far beyond that, or even to swell our heads because we've got so much knowledge and we know more than the other person. Um, it all has to do with bringing about uh, attitudinal behavioral change or some kind of a character change. So if you check the, the, the references dealing with the rapture or the revelation, either one dealing with the, the coming, you'll find that the, the emphasis is on some 
change and, and uh, dealing with your, your, your attitude, your character. For example, um, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 and 3, he says that every man that have this hope purifies himself, so it should have a cleansing effect upon the believer. Um, if I, uh, I really believe in the rapture, that the Lord can return any time, I would try to keep my life in order. I don't want to come back and I'm ashamed because I'm engaged in some activity or, or involved in something that is completely unscriptural and, and, uh, and so on. So I think that one of the um, effects it should have is to create a desire for holiness and uh, enable the believer to want to keep his life uh, sparkling before the Lord and not become spotted. Uh, Titus as well, Titus uh, chapter 2, verse 12 and and, uh, 13. Uh, Could you look at that one for just a moment, please? Titus chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. All right, Titus two twelve and 13 says, Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of God, of the great God in our Yeah, there it is. Jesus. I mean, uh, you know, how we to live soberly, uh, with temperance, righteously, godly. That's the way the believers should. And by the way, if believers really believe that the Lord would could return at any moment, uh, I think you would see a transformation in their life and how they live. And, and that's what it was designed to do, this eminent return of Christ, to keep the believers on the P's and the Q's, is that you're at home and you don't know when mommy's coming back. She can come back any moment. And you don't want it when she comes back, the house is in a mess or something is happening. Uh, you know what will follow if that happens. The other thing is that it should have a calming effect upon the believer, not only a cleansing effect. He says, let not your heart be what? Troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me, in my Father's house. So, you know, there's so much in this world that can trouble the believer. I mean, you've got problems, you've got issues, you've got health issues, you've got family, you know. So a thousand things could happen. But if we keep our minds focused on his second coming, his his, uh, the rapture, uh, it should... Uh, calm us down so that our heart is not troubled. You remember the disciples are troubled because he's going away. And who are they going to look to now? Who are they going to depend on? Because for three and a half years, he's been the one there teaching them, etc. But now he's gone. And uh, they were beginning to panic. He said, don't be troubled. Don't be troubled. And I think that uh, you believe in God. And he gives them a, uh, a hope that he will come again and receive them unto himself. So it should have a cleansing effect, have a calming effect. And then I think it should also have a comforting effect. In First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 and 18, you remember, he uh, um, says, Wherefore comfort one another with these things after you discuss the rapture. Yeah, because these Thessalonian believers, some of their beloved ones had died, and they are wondering, you know, did, did they miss the rapture or whatever is going to happen to them? And, and Paul tells them, you know, you don't have to worry about this. The dead in Christ should rise first, then we who alive should be transformed. And then he says, comfort one another with these things. So the rapture should bring comfort to the believer. And then one other thing quickly, it should have a controlling effect on us and our ministries. First Corinthians fifteen fifty eight. Could you read that, please? First Corinthians 15.58 Alright 
Verse 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Now, it's interesting that that is found in which chapter? Chapter 15. You read yeah. chapter 15, uh, Paul talks about the, we shall be changed in chapter 15. And he's saying, because this change is going to come about at the rapture, basically, we should not be moved by what is coming in our lives. We should remain strong and steadfast. And notice, always abounding in the work of the Lord. The only time we've got to work for God is, is now. We're not going to be, uh, the only time we're going to get rewards is now. Uh, we, uh, so the work needs to be done. And uh, to be motivated to, to serve the Lord, we have to understand that uh, what we do for Him is going to receive a reward. And sometimes we get a little bit worry, weary. Sometimes we get tired. Sometimes we get discouraged. But what keeps us going on is the knowledge of our Lord's return. Pastor, we have a caller from Nevis. Nathan, thank you for calling. And go ahead with your question, please. Good evening. Good evening, sir. Good hearing you. Thanks uh, for calling. Happy New Year. Same to you, sir. Very happy New Year okay. to you. Okay. I'm calling about the sixth seal of Revelation chapter 6. And verse 17 says, After that these men, the kings of the earth and the great men and so on, uh -huh. says to the mountain and to the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sat on the throne. And this says in verse 17 of chapter 6 of Revelation, uh -huh. For the great day of his wrath is come, uh -huh. and who shall be able to stand? Uh -huh. What's your understanding of that? Well, that's the, that's the period of time but when the wrath of God is being poured out. You would think, by the way, as the wrath of God is being poured out, that people are repenting. But what you discover later on in the, uh, in the book of Revelations, I can't give you the exact verse now, but I'll give you next time as well, that, uh, you know, the effect it's having on people is to harden them. And these are people, of course, who have become judicially blinded by God, and now they're so hardened. Uh, you'll find later on that they actually curse God in heaven when all this begins to happen uh, in the book of Revelation. So it, it is clearly here that these people understand that this is a divine judgment on God. And um, rather than it bringing about a change of heart and uh, a change of life and bringing them to the point of repentance, uh, they have now become hardened. It's like a person who is, the Lord is trying to deal with it, to bring them to faith in Jesus Christ, and then they begin to have one problem in their life after another. Rather than understand that it is divine chastening that's designed to break them to, to the point of humility and repentance, they develop a very adamant, hard attitude and become angry at God and bitter at God so that they're no longer prepared to listen to God. They're people like that. And in the tribulation period, that would be exacerbated by the severity of the, the tribulation that they will endure. To me, it seems like there would be an awareness all over the earth that one day the wrath of God will fall. Yeah. yeah. So well, when this happened, they say the day of his wrath is coming, who shall be stunned. Yeah. Jesus said that the gospel of the kingdom must first be preached in all the world Correct. to all nations, <laughs> and then the end would come. Yeah. yeah I, agree. I agree with you. I mean, uh, people, look, in the Western world, the gospel has really been preached in the Western world. I mean, I, I, I think anybody can turn on a television set in any part of the Western world and become aware. And there are, are many, there are a lot of 
bad preachers on the radio, but there are also some good preachers on, 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 and so on and so forth. So people are aware. But the problem with people that knowledge is not what's going to move people. You have to be a change of heart and that the Holy Spirit has to work in a person's life to bring them to the acknowledgement of the truth. And in the book of Revelations here, not the wrath is being poured out. You know, it's like the sun can melt ice, but it hardens clay. Yeah. And uh, when wrath of God is being poured out on planet Earth, you would think that people would, would repent and plead for mercy, but it just hardens them because they're fixed in their ways and become angry at God because of what God is doing uh, in pouring out His wrath. But I think you're right about that. Okay. Thanks for calling. Have a good night. You too, sir. God bless. Thank you very much for your call from Nevis. We appreciate it. God bless you. Have a good night. Pastor, are there dangers in having studied so much about the rapture and end times uh, that we need to guard ourselves against? Yeah, I think that some people become very, very cocky. And what I mean by that, they're so proud of the knowledge they have about prophecy uh, that it could actually um, uh, become a, a real blotch in their life and a real hindrance to them. And Sometimes the, the the focus is totally on prophecy and forget the other practical part of it. They're, they're just, you know. Uh, so I think there are legitimate dangers that we need to be careful. We don't become too conceited with the knowledge that we've got. We don't become distracted to make that we become, it becomes a pet subject that every time we talk to somebody, always just bombarding them with Bible prophecy and stuff like that. There are many other aspects that we need to know in the Scriptures. We need to become more rounded. So we need to be very, very careful. And then, of course, uh, the other thing is that we can spend a whole time studying prophecy and uh, close to ourselves somewhere uh, getting all of this knowledge but we're not engaged in ministry and trying to reach others because what's the news of knowing all of this and we're not using that knowledge to help people to bring them to faith so we need to be very careful that we don't become um, stuck up with knowledge and uh, lose sight of the need of reaching others for Christ talk about bringing people to faith in 30 seconds what is that faith that faith is faith in jesus christ and jesus christ alone is the only savior and there's no salvation outside of him going to church doesn't save me absolutely not going to church good works uh your, your own good character that doesn't save you unless you have christ you have nothing thank you for joining us for this episode of that's truth Keep your radio dial tuned to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. Tune in next Tuesday. Go ahead and set an alarm on your phone or whatever it takes to remind you to tune into the program next Tuesday as we continue this topic of Bible prophecy and delve into what Scripture teaches. God bless you. Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's truth. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth, Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM, if you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kilohertz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world. Or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.